You know, in South Asia, every one and a half seconds, somebody dies and goes into eternity and, and never hears the name of Jesus, which is a, is a heart-wrenching thing when you think about it, because that means every 10 days, Shelby, North Carolina, uh, essentially every day, Shelby, North Carolina is wiped off the map. Every 10 days, uh, a city, you know, I'm not sure exactly how big Knoxville is, but small cities are gone, you know, never have the opportunity to hear Jesus. And and, and day in, day out, they're robbing God of His glory. You know, because they're bowing down before idols and worshiping idols and, you know, things along that line. And they're robbing Him of His glory. But His desire, you know, we can't add to His glory. His glory is perfect. It's magnificent. It's, it's amazing. But He does want us to be a, a magnifier or a multiplier or a, a mirror of His glory. And, and that's why, I think that's why, because I think, man... Jesus, I could have come up with a better plan. Because I look at the plan, I go, wow, this is so simple. Because the things I'm going to say tonight, you're going to go, my fear always in sharing this, you go, well, this is so simple, we've been, we've already, we're already doing this, this is old hat. And, and that's the temptation, is to say, well, you know, it's, all, it's so simple. But I'll tell you what, it's hard, hard work. And I'll tell you the thing that burdened me, is I came back, and we were sitting at McDonald's one morning, uh, Neil Perry and I, both of I have been in youth ministry, he's been in youth ministry 22 years, myself 16 and we were listing off all the kids went through our youth ministries. And these were the solid kids. And now they're shacked up. You know, they're not walking with the Lord. Some of them are denying God. And, and you know, we just became, you know, burdened. You know, we, I know the statistics says that 66% of all young people who go through a Southern Baptist church, uh, when they go off to university, will stop walking with the Lord. I don't know about you, but that's unacceptable to me. I mean, there's just something wrong about that. Satan's having a heyday. And there's something wrong. There's something we're doing wrong. You know, I think part of, I guess, my passion and, and why I fell in love with, you know, what, what I'm doing overseas in Asia, that I had to do it here, was somebody reconnected. You know, it's always been about evangelism. We're really good as Baptists at evangelism. But discipleship's just sort of been this void for a long time. And I think that's what Jesus is wanting us to do, is reconnect evangelism and discipleship. Because He never disconnected them. He flowed right into evangelism, right into discipleship. It was just one side of the coin or the other. You know, so on the one side, heads, there's evangelism. Here's the other side, tails, here's discipleship. You don't see, you see, yeah, theologically are they different? Absolutely. But pragmatically, we see Christ, he just, it was just the ebb and flow of his life. It's the way he did things. And so I think that's what's really hit me, is going, what did those kids need? And so as we've been praying for those kids, the other thing that struck me, and I don't, I can't say how accurate it is in your community, but I can tell you in Charlotte, North Carolina, Columbia, Raleigh, some of the places we're training, I think it's pretty accurate. 60% of the people who are not Christians who do not go to church, who have no walk of faith, 60% have already made up their mind they're not coming to your church. Now, in Booger Holler, maybe it's 40%. Maybe we got a little, you know, maybe it's a little better in there. But I'm telling you, the more and more I've been out there, we run into people all the time and go, you know what, I'll do the church thing. So here we are in our communities, and everything's about come, come to church, come to church. And what did Jesus say? Go. He didn't say go to church even. He said go. Go do what? Make disciples. Alright, so if King of Kings, Lord of Lords, very last thing he says, 
He says what? Go. And when you go, do what? Make disciples. And then what do you do? Baptize them. Who baptizes them? I can get into a fight right away, right? Now, who baptizes them? You know, disciples baptize them. And then what do you do? Teach them to obey. Man, I wish somebody would have taught me to obey when I became a Christian. Nobody. I was never even, I guess you were just sort of, you know, you got through osmosis through your pillow or something. But I didn't, nobody told me that I was supposed to obey the Word of God. And I wish somebody would have, the day I came to Christ, said, Jeff, let me teach you how to share your story. Jeff, let me teach you who to share with. Jeff, let me teach you how to walk in the Word. But I can remember begging people, you know, to help me, begging for that help. But I tell you, that 60% has me burdened. Because they're not coming to this building. And they're not coming to the other churches that are represented here. They've already made up their mind. Now, I don't know why. Some of them had bad experiences. Some of them, their great-grandma had a bad experience. I've run into those folks. Some of them, maybe it's from watching the news. Maybe it's from watching Fox News. I, I don't know. But for whatever reason, they ain't coming. So we've got to do what? Go. Do they have a right to hear the gospel? Now, whose responsibility is it? Yeah, who's going to own this problem? I mean, that's the bottom line. Do, am I willing to own that 60%? We go into homes of internationals all the time. You're like, wow, you're the first American that's ever come to my home. Wow. You know, wow, we've never had an American meal. So here are all these people out there just hungry to learn about American culture. And you don't even have to. You just love on them. Love loud. And then you can just, they, they're already ready to have a spiritual conversation. In India, they're always, man, people talk, man, isn't God so wonderful? Don't you love God today? And I'm going, yeah, what, where are you from, man? What planet is this? And, and then, he, of course, he's talking about Shiva or somebody like that. But they're ready to have a spiritual conversation. But does God have people prepared in Knoxville, in our communities right now, ready to have a spiritual conversation? Are they there? Is He ready to use us? Does He want to use us? And He absolutely does. If you just think, you know, I, I want to, I really wish we had time. I'd love to break you up in small groups right now. I'm real tempted to do this, but man, how many people do you think today in Knoxville heard mouth to ear? We call it M2E. That means that your mouth was open talking about Jesus and they got a full-blown gospel presentation, or they got to hear about Jesus in a practical way, a loving way, and they got to have a conversation about Jesus with somebody. How many times did that happen today in Knoxville, do you think? We know one for sure, right? Praise the Lord, that's huge. But how many, day in, day out, is that happening? I mean, what do you think? 10,000? No. A hundred? Maybe a hundred? I see some nods with a hundred. Maybe it's a little more. But just think of the number of Christians here in Knoxville. Just think if we get just if we got ten percent out sharing their story and Jesus' story, where Jesus already has the fields prepared, already has folks ready, would he give us people? I mean you guys have heard it. I've heard it for years and years. Boy. If each one of us would just disciple one person for one year, you know, we'd turn the world upside down. Well, my question is, why have we not done anything about it? 
What, what's stopping us? The only thing that's stopping us is, is what's called accountability. And it's, and it's a little bit of vision to say, you know what? I own this mile radius around my house. I own this five mile radius around this steeple. And I'm going to make sure everybody has an opportunity to be loved loud at by Jesus and to have the gospel presented to them. And I'm going to make sure they have that opportunity. But who, who's going to own it? Because if you don't own it, who owns it? If the church doesn't own it, who owns it? If your Sunday school class doesn't own it, who owns it? We've got to start taking responsibility for it. You know, and the beauty is, what, what did Jesus say over and over time? Because one of the commands I think we missed. In Luke 10, 2, he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out what? Workers. Workers. I, I, I took my phone and put 10, 2. Every day my alarm goes off. So at 10, 2 in the morning, I'm praying, Lord, send workers into the harvest. Acts 9, 38, he says, what? He's moved with compassion, right? He's moved with compassion. But he says again, what? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. John chapter 4, or yeah, yeah, John chapter 4, Samaritan woman. He says what? Lift up your eyes. You know, some say four months, but I tell you right now, the harvest is ready. So what's missing? What, where's the problem? The workers. He's waiting for us. And some of the workers are out there. That's the exciting thing. Some of the best workers, they're out there. They're not even here. They're, they're lost people out there doing crazy things or they're just living a normal life and they're waiting and they're waiting to hear about Jesus. And they're ready. I, Mark, I shared a little bit this morning about Mark and Mark and I were, were talking about this and the Word of God. We were starting to get into homes in our church and so we were taking Luke 10 real serious and going out. We're getting in homes and we're starting evangelistic Bible studies. We call those discovery groups and so we're, we're doing this, and, and Mark's feeling a little uncomfortable with it, you know. So here, here are these things that are going on outside the church. And he's going, well, you know, they need to come to church. They need to come to church. I said, well, you, you can't bring them to church yet. He said, no, they need to come to church. I said, listen, I promise you, they, they don't need to come to church yet. The house is an incubator. We're discipling them. We're, we're getting them ready. And uh, so anyhow, Mark and I got in a pretty, pretty stiff debate. And uh, we were nose to nose for about an hour. And I finally said, you know what, I quit. <laughs> I give up, and I walked out the back of the door of the church. As soon as I hit the door, the Holy Spirit said, Jeff, go back and ask for forgiveness. You handled that wrong. So I went back to Mark. I apologized. I said, listen, Mark, I handled this wrong. Will you please forgive me? And I said, I'll tell you what, Mark. I said, we got a book that's got our materials in it. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll walk you through the book. If there's anything we got wrong that's scripturally wrong, I said, I will change it. Um, now, what he'd understand is our manual is this book. You know, so we, we, so we got into Luke 10, and we started talking about sharing your story and Jesus' story, and, you know, Mark, Mark gave up pretty quick. So next thing, he's fighting over who's going to get in the first house. So he gathered together some insurance agents at their insurance office, and we started training at their office at, uh, I think it was 7.35 in the morning. They only gave me an hour, so I had to really knock it out quick. And they began to have a competition. And so Mark's brother, Keith, he's sharing his story with one of his friends. His friend's name is Bug Eyes. And so as he's sharing with Bug Eyes, um, 
he's like, you know, so he goes one day, he drives past, he sees bug guys, but he keeps driving. He said, well, Jeff's going to ask me about it. Man, I shared my story. So he turns around, goes back, and sees bug guys. said, bug guys, man, I, I just love you. I want to tell you, you know, and just he starts sharing his story with bug guys. And, um, but he doesn't ask about coming into his home. Well, then he, you know, next week go, oh, man, that's great. When did you set up the next appointment with bug guys? Was he receptive to the gospel? Yeah. Did he receive the gospel? No. Well, why are you not going back? And so Keith said, okay. So he calls up one day. He calls Bug Guys. Doesn't get Bug Guys. He gets Bug Guys' girlfriend. They've been married. No, I'm not married. They've been living together for like 13 years. Got a daughter together. And so, and, and she's uh, she's tough. She's bigger than Bug Guys. Bug Guys is a little skinny guy, about 130 pounds. And she probably runs 270 and kicks most of the football team's high ends, if you know what I mean. I mean, she's, she's stout and tough. Home run hitter in softball. And uh, so he goes, he said, listen, can we come to your house and do a Bible study? And she says, why, Coop, sure, come on over and do a Bible study. You know, this is his oikos. This is who he grew up with. Well, what about Bug Eyes? You think Bug Eyes would be okay? Hey, Bug Eyes, can Coop come to a Bible study? Yeah. Tell him to come on over. And so he goes over. And eventually that whole family comes to Christ. Well, that bugs Mark. Because Mark's going, man, I can't get my little brother kid get up on me. So Mark's sitting in the workplace one day, and in comes this guy, and he's, uh, he's all upset. He's tore up. He's, him and his wife are separated. Um, he's selling insurance. And so Mark knows very obviously that, you know, I'm going to pray for this guy. That's the spiritual thing to do, you know. So he's coming in, and he's done this for years and years, 30-plus years. He says, I'm going to pray for this guy. And God spoke to him and said, Mark, what are you praying to me for? You're the answer to this guy's prayer. You share your story and share Jesus' story with him. This guy needs Jesus. He doesn't need you to pray for me right now and pray for him. You intervene in this guy's life. And so he said, dude, you're going to think I'm crazy. He said, but is there any way, and him and his, him and his wife have been separated six months, is there any way that I could get together, my wife, your wife, all of us get together, and we'll talk and walk through the Word of God and look at marriage. And could we walk beside you and help you do this? And the guy says, you are crazy. I, you know, I'm getting rid of the insurance on her today. I'm fed up. I'm done. And, you know, walks out. He, he left his phone number and said, well, please call me if you will. Well, 5 o'clock that day, all the other insurance agents left. Mark was supposed to be gone. In comes this woman who's ranting and raving because her crazy husband dropped her insurance off. Well, it didn't take a rocket scientist for Mark to figure out who it was. And so he, he's just, he knows it's the Lord. And so as soon as she comes in, he said, I know you're going to think I'm crazy. And he begins to share his story. And then just says, could my wife get together with you and your husband? And could we do a Bible study with you? And she said, you are crazy. I want to kill him, right? You know, blankety, blank, blank, you know, type thing. And so anyhow, they leave. Well, two weeks later, they call up and they said, are you serious? Would you really do a Bible study with us? Would you really help us out? And he said, yeah. Long and short, eventually that whole family comes to Christ through this insurance agent using his business as a platform. Then uh, Mark one day is in Walmart. We found Walmart's a great place to find houses of peace. Y'all got Walmart here? Alright, you pick the longest line. How many of y'all try and get the shortest line? The houses of peace are hanging out in the longest line. I tell you that right now because you got time for conversation. You got three minutes to share your story, so you just boom, you share your story. So anyhow, Mark's in there, sees a guy he used to work with, 
Uh, his name's Doug, and says, uh, "Hey, Doug, can I um uh, just can I share my story with you?" And he hadn't shared with Doug ever. He felt a little ashamed, and so he shared his story and heard Doug's story, of course, and where Doug had been since they'd not been working together. He used to work on the docks overnight, and Doug had just gotten his dream job, six figures. You know, and he's, he's pumped, he's excited, and so Mark says, hey, can I come to your house and do a Bible study? And the guy's like, eh, I don't know about that, you know, that sounds a little weird, you know. And so, a couple days later, Doug calls back up and says, hey, would you really come to my house and do a Bible study? I just found out I have cancer, stomach cancer. Would you come over? So he came over, so the first night he's telling the story of the woman who was the big sinner woman who came to the feet of Jesus and grabbed his feet. She was weeping and broke the jar of oil over his feet. And he's sharing that story. And while he's doing it, Showtime's on a big TV screen and, and there's a nude scene pops up and the noise is blaring and he's going, oh, in the name of Jesus, if I, you know, five weeks ago I wouldn't have done this if weren't for Jeff Sundale. And, you know, I hate his guts. And, you know, so anyhow, he, but he just, he just keeps right on sharing the story. He gets done with the story. What do you learn about God? What do you learn about man? Is there a sin to avoid? Example to follow. And then he asks the question, Doug, who do you identify with in the story of why? And Doug breaks down and begins to cry. He says, you know, I thought you were coming here to tell me to marry my girlfriend, quit drinking beer, and I needed to come to church. He said, but Jesus loves me, doesn't he? And Mark said, you're right. And so Mark um, got to lead Doug to Christ. And then later on, he got to leave. Uh, didn't even, no disciples. I mean, he's discipling them. Just the basics. How to share your story. He baptized them. Actually baptized them in the hospital. He was doing basic discipleship with him. And then he said Mark to one Mark one day. He said, hey, would you, would you marry my girlfriend and I? We've been living together 13 years. And so they got married in the hospital. Ended up leading his daughter and her son-in-law. Actually, they got married also in the hospital. Led them to Christ. And uh, the day Doug was dying, he grabbed everybody and pulled them around. And he, he looked at Mark, and he looked at his family, and he said, Listen, I'm, I'm going home to be with the Lord. You know, this is all brand new, new to me. I know Christ now. And he, and he looks at Mark, and he said, Listen, guys, you got a new daddy. This, this is your new daddy. Listen to what he has to say. He'll take care of you. And he's still loving on him and still reaching out to him. Well, he goes back and there's a little 12, he said a hard-headed 12-year-old, which I can't believe there's such a thing, especially a boy. And so there's a little 12-year-old boy who hasn't received Christ, so after Doug dies, he's going after him, wants to reach him for Christ. And so he goes with the first story, which is repent and believe, the story of Zacchaeus, and he's going to win this guy to Jesus. And so he's telling this little boy, he's got him down there telling the story of Zacchaeus, got the little boy repeating the story back, and they're going through all these questions, he's saying, man... You know, Zacchaeus is one of the most hated guys in the community. Everybody hates this guy. He's a traitor. He's done everybody wrong. And here Jesus is loving on this guy. And then this woman over to the side, who's one of the relatives, starts weeping. And he's going, shut up. I'm trying to get this boy saved. Shut up. You know, and so he's focusing in. And she's crying. She goes, that's me. That's me. I slept around on my husband. I did this. And she starts confessing sin. And, and Mark goes, okay, <laughs> Lord's after her. Beep, 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 you know, bang, you know, here's the, here's the house of peace. And so he, he looks at the woman, he says one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard from an insurance agent. Um, and he, he looks at her and he says, I want to tell you about a man. 
He said there was a man who killed people. He beat people. He persecuted, threw them in jail. He did all kind of evil things. And he looked at that woman and he said, I want you to pick the most evil thing you've ever done in your life. Is it worse than any of those things? And she said, no. And she said, that, that guy's name's Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. You know, Jesus forgave him. If Jesus can forgive him, can he forgive you? So anyhow, this lady gave her heart to Christ that night. And God wants to use it. And Mark would tell you, for 32 years, he sat in the church under some great teaching. But Mark would tell you, he didn't know who to share with, what to say. If they believed, he didn't know how to disciple them. He didn't know how to gather them. But Mark can answer all those questions now. He knows who to share with. He knows a basic gospel presentation. He knows some basic discipleship. And he knows how to gather. But my question is, what, what if Mark would have never taken responsibility for his oikos? You see, Doug was part of his oikos. What, what happens to Doug? What happens to Doug's family? What happens to that extended family? What happens to Chad and his family? See, in South Asia, every one and a half seconds, somebody dies and goes into eternity and never hears the name of Jesus. But that's, that's happening here also. Man, Doug went off into eternity. But thankfully, he knows Jesus because Mark said, you know what? I own it. I'm going to take responsibility for it. And now Mark loves doing it. That's, that's the amazing thing. Mark's a, he's always one of those texting me. He said, man, my throat's killing me. Pray for me. But he's a big advocate because he's fallen in love with lost people. Jesus wants us to love lost people. It's amazing seeing God use people like Mark and his, and his wife. Um, Cody um, is in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's a pastor at Desiring God Church. And so he's gotten a real vision for uh, or passion for the nations. And I love to be with Cody and hear his passion. And uh, So one of the things they do is we, we've talked about, you know, everything right now we have sort of is, you know, come to church. You know, so if we do an event, it's, it's about pointing arrows and say, come here, right? So if we're going to do outreach, it's come here. If we do something on Easter, it's come here. And that's good. But we're doing ESL. And it says, come here. What if we took some of the things we're already doing and reversed the arrows? All right, so we're already doing this community. We've got a backyard Bible club with children. Hey, can I come to your house and do a Bible study? Could I reverse the arrows? So that's what Cody did. Cody's got an ESL thing. He said, you know what? I'm going to reverse the arrows. We pick up these kids when they come into UNCC. We get them in their dorms. We teach them ESL. We're teaching them language and helping them with all the TOEFL stuff. And he said, you know what? We're going to get in there and teach them English. And then we're going to share our story and Jesus' story and say, hey, when can we meet? And then they begin gospeling them. And so you'll, there's a thing called creation of Christ in there that you have. He, he didn't like it because it wasn't Reformed theology enough because Cody, obviously, desiring God church is pretty, you know, five-point Calvinist. And so he rewrote it into ten wonderful lessons. And he's got disciples. He had two Chinese families come to Christ, both who are Ph.D. students. And the whole family's ended up coming to Christ. So here he goes, walking them through creation of Christ, week by week by week. So they come to Christ. One of the young men, of course in China, he's part of the Communist Party. He's sent there by the Communists. One of his family members gets sick, uh, actually died. And so he flies back for the burial. Um, uh, 
gets there, shares his story, shares Jesus' story. Mom and dad come to Christ. Mom and dad lead sister to Christ. And so it's already just watching a guy like Cody, where something before we were saying, come here. So something we're already doing. ESL? Y'all, anybody do ESL? A few of y'all do? Same thing. So we're already doing it. Now how do I get in your home? Or how do I get in your dorm room? Or how do I meet you at Starbucks and we talk more about Jesus? So I keep doing what I'm doing, but I just become intentional and say, how, how can we meet again? And God will open up these doors. And so it's been amazing to see Cody doing that. And so Cody's, Cody's got about seven groups now around the Charlotte area. He just started doing this. He's excited, but he's pumped up about reaching the nations. Um, I want to I want to share one more story just to... I want to sort of try and bring this picture, because this picture is trying to, um, you know, trying to answer four questions. Who do we share with? What do we say? If they believe, how do we disciple them? And then how do we gather them into some type of reproducing discipleship group? So how do we gather them? I think you, you say connect them. But how, how do we gather them into some type of group? Okay? Um, so what does that look like? Um, let me ask you the question. What's the difference between reproducible and reproducing? One's acting. Okay. What else? Yeah, one has capacity, and so then, therefore, one actually is doing it. Okay. What else? Yeah, continuation in the process. It's, it's moving along. We didn't have to throw a switch. Because to me, that's some, sometimes, you know, reproducible is, yeah, does this, you know, does this piece of paper have the potential to be reproducible? Uh, yeah, you know, you slide the photocopier and throw a switch, yeah. Will this paper ever spontaneously become reproducing? No, not likely. But there are things that are. You know, what are some things that are reproducing in, in, our, in our world today? Y'all talk. Here's your chance. Yeah, things that have life. Just animals, us, uh, seeds. You know, just, just the basic things of life. That's the one thing that God's built into the kingdom is something that is reproducing. And so, and the reason I ask this question is, say, well, what's, what's that matter? Well, I'm sitting here thinking, how do we, you know, how are we going to reach all these people, do they have the right to hear the gospel? And if I realize 60% of them already made up their mind they're not coming to my church building, but yet I have a responsibility to go to them and take the gospel to them, what what am I going to do about that? You know, so that's where I said, man, well, we've got to really start thinking about does my story have the potential to be reproducing? Does my gospel presentation have the potential to be reproducing? Does my discipleship have the potential to be reproducing? You know, I love those great theological books, but they're not going to reproduce in some of the folks' lives I'm working with. We're working with folks sometimes in Booker Hollow who can't read or choose not to read. Or you're working cross-culturally, and, and sometimes Booker Hollow feels cross-culturally, trust me. Um, but sometimes, you know, you're, you're, you're working even cross-culturally, and you, you don't have that potential. So, 
is the discipleship process you're using have the potential to be reproducing? Does that make sense? So, my who, every one of us has a who, right? And we're going to talk more about that. Every one of us needs to have some type of basic gospel pre- presentation that can be reproducing. But we've got to have some type of discipleship that has the potential to be reproducing among the average people in our community. Um, and so I'm going to share a story with you. I'm going to continue this story tomorrow. Because tonight we're just going to sort of focus in on field one and field two is what, what I like to call these. So these two things about the who, what do I say? And we're really not going to get into how do we disciple and how do we gather. We're going to do that tomorrow morning. And so I want to sort of zero in right here. But um, and this is more of a Booger Holler story, so you have to excuse me. We got we got wonderful stories from 27 cities and about 404 plus homes that have come to Christ, and you know, so it's all over the gamut. You know, from uh, gated communities to uh, loads of internationals to rednecks. It's 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 just anywhere you can think of. Uh, we're getting to see God work and do amazing things. University campuses, God's doing some amazing things, but. I want to share this story because I think it really helps to explain this. Um, Brian, uh, one of the first things we teach people to do is write down their who. And essentially their who is, you know, think about it this way. Um, who is it that's in your sphere of influence that you either normally run with, you hang out with, uh, that you day-to-day in the workplace with? Who are those people that you normally are around. And of course that would be relatives, that would be family members, it might be friends you grew up in high school with, it might be the workplace, but uh, it might be who you ride motorcycles with or bicycles with, whatever it may be. But who, who's your who? And so Brian, he's writing down his who. And so he's writing down all those folks and he begins praying for them. And we just, we teach you guys, listen, pray real simple. In the name of Jesus, and let me, give me an opportunity to share with Mickey. In the name of Jesus, give me the opportunity to share with Kyle. In the name of Jesus, give me the opportunity to share with Tyrone. In the name of Jesus, save Tyrone. Whatever it may be, just something real simple. Because we want the potential to be reproducing. So when I teach a new believer, what's it going to be? Reproducing. So I want something a new believer can carry on. And so Brian's making his list, okay? And so he's praying. And he's praying for a guy named Mickey. Him and Mickey used to hang out together, drink beer and party and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so Brian's praying. And uh, lo and behold, Mickey, you know, he, some of y'all, I know if you were in Knoxville, heard this story. But uh, Mickey, um, I don't know what it is. The folks in our area like to play with bath salts. That's like a big thing in the campuses right now. They snort it, all kind of crazy things, shoot it, all kind of stuff. And, and then you do hallucinations. And then after the hallucinations, then you do even crazier stuff. So anyhow... They end up calling the, the popo on him, and so the popo shows up, and, and then Mickey decides he's going to run, so Mickey's running, and he's driving off in his truck, so the popo chases him down, they stop him, and then there ends up being a little fight. Uh, Mickey's winning the fight. That's not good, okay? So Mickey's a, a burly guy, and so he's got the policeman like this, you know, which is not good. And so the policeman pulls out his gun, and he shoves it up in Mickey's ribcage, and begins to pull the trigger to discharge the gun. And it's checking his safe back and forth as he's doing it, and the gun won't go off. And he said seven to nine times he pulled the trigger. Well, finally, the officers subdue him. And it's a miracle Mickey's not dead. So now he's sitting in jail, cooling his heels, 
And he's sitting there thinking, you know what? This this life's not looking real good. I'm going to give up Bed Bath & Beyond. You know, it's not the place to hang out no more. And so he says, I, I've had enough of that. And he just starts thinking, now who do I know that I want to, you know, because God's working in his life. Who do I know? He said, well, you know, Brian. Brian's got a pretty good life. You know, I've watched his family. I've watched his kids. I'm going to go see Brian as soon as I get out of jail. So as soon as Mickey got out of jail, he goes and he sees Brian. Well, who's, who's Brian been praying for? Mickey. Of course, this made the news. So he was praying extra hard for Mickey. You know, let's say, wait, the chopper's out for this one. And uh, so they connect. So they're riding around in their pickup truck on a Sunday morning. And so Brian's sharing his story, sharing Jesus' story with Mickey. You know, Mickey's just, he's fed up. He's, uh, he's ready to give up. Anyhow, they drive down through an old pasture and they come to the pastor's house. He's my good friend, Neil Perry, Pastor Elma Church. And so there, Neil shares his story, Jesus' story. Mickey gives his life to Christ right there uh, that morning. Falls down on his knees and just begins to pray and ask Jesus Christ to change his life. He's sick and tired of it. And then so Neil begins to challenge him. What do you do? You repent and believe, receive the Holy Spirit. And the first action of a new believer after they repent and believe is do what? Baptism. So he says, hey man, you got to get baptized. So we're going to come to your house. We're going to bring a horse trough. And we're going to baptize you at your house. Before he got the words out, Mickey's waist deep in the water and says, what prevents me from being baptized now? And so Brian goes, all right, Neil, you go baptize him and I'm going to film it on my iPhone, okay? We're, we're high-tech rednecks, okay? And so, so he goes down in there and uh, Neil goes, no, Brian, you go and baptize him. And because you're going to disciple him, you're going to invest in his life. He said, I'm going to film it. And so he videotapes as Brian baptizes the first person he's ever baptized in his life. And so then they, Mickey comes up and says, all right, Mickey, we're going to go through the first lesson. So they begin to teach him very first day, start praying for your friends and neighbors, all those folks you've been partying with and Bed Bath & Beyond. You've you got to be praying for them and sharing your story. Teaches them how to share his story. And one of, one of the great things that uh, we found a great way to share your story is Think about your life in three segments, three chairs. So what's, what was your life like, Mickey, before Christ? Take one word and describe your life before Christ. And so he's got that word. Of course, it's, it's chaos, right? Well, how did you meet Christ? Well, that, that happened at the right over here at Pastor Neil's house out in the middle of the pasture. Him and Brian lead Mickey to Christ, right? Well, Mickey, what about your life since Christ? And he's like... Well, I don't know, but it's just a lot better than it was there. That's all I know. And that's really about all he did know. So they challenged Mickey to go out and share his story. So Mickey, the first day, of course, when you hang out Bed Bath & Beyond and do bubble bath salts or whatever you do, you, you end up losing your job for things like that. So he lost his job. So he had a lot of free time. So he spent eight hours going door to door. I imagine a little bit like Paul, you know. He's got his, his police report going, look, I should be dead. But Jesus saved me. And he went and shared his story from neighbor to neighbor to neighbor. He spent eight hours doing that that day. Wednesday night, they started a Bible study in Mickey's house, invited his neighbors, his friends, and they met in what was called the Sin Den. And so there they are meeting and sharing. And then a really cool thing, um, about the seventh weekend, one of the things that Neil makes everybody practice every single week is their story and Jesus' story. So they'll practice it. 
Well, Mickey's daughter, this is seven weeks in, she goes, um, hmm. I don't have a middle part of my story. So for weeks, she'd been faking it. You know, she's, she's going back here and she's going, this and this are the same. And there's been no change here. And so that night, Mickey led his daughter to Christ because of that little illustration. We've had a lot of folks come to Christ through that little illustration. Christians sitting in Bible studies and they go through this and they go, after six, seven weeks, you go, wow, I don't have a middle part of my story. And I need a middle part of my story. And that's how did I meet Christ personally? How did I get that personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And so they do that every single week and just have seen a number of folks come to Christ. But one of the cool things is that as this Bible study is going on in Mickey's, a guy named Clint joins the Bible study, okay? So Clint's learning to share his story, Jesus' story. Clint's one of the guys Neil and I have been praying for. Clint was in my youth group. Clint was in Neil's youth group. He was hell on wheels. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, he just drove you nuts. But you knew he was a leader. He was a born leader. But he was usually leading people astray. And so here God is bringing this young man, and he's working on this guy's heart. And you can see it. He's in this small group. And he starts getting fired up because he's going, wow, if God can change Mickey's life, what can he do for me? And so he starts getting excited. So him and Mickey start going out, and they start sharing with Mickey's friends. They get in about four homes of Mickey's who. So Brad, one of those homes, they get into his homes. They're sharing their story, sharing Jesus' story. But then they're also doing a little business together. So they're, they're on the job site. They're remodeling a guy's basement, doing some carpentry work. And they share their story share Jesus' story, and then they ask the guy what? This highly contextualized question, can I come to your house and do a Bible study? And the guy says, yeah, sure. So they start a Bible study in this home, and they begin gospeling. We use something called the seven stories of hope. And so they're sharing the stories just little by little with this guy. Clint, it's amazing what God's doing through Clint. Clint one day... He just said, you know what, I'm a, I'm a, he'd been hanging out with me. He goes with me to Charlotte, sometimes down to Columbia, and he's out of work right now, so he's just hanging out with me, so he's got nothing better to do. And so he, he goes out prayer walking, sharing his story. And one week, Clint got into seven homes. I mean, seven homes. You know what Clint's saying right now? Just, what would you say? You got into seven homes. What would be your frustration if you could think of one? Not enough time, exactly. And that's what Clint's run into. He's going, wow, God's opening up all my who's. But Luke 10, 2, where are the workers? So, all right, Clint, you got to start raising up some Timothys. Who, who are you going to start training? Well, he can't get any of the church folks to do it, so who do, you, who do you start getting to go with you? The ones out of the homes. Immediately involve them in sharing their story. Sharing Jesus' story, sharing those Bible studies, get them involved. You know, because uh, the one thing, you know, we sort of been trained not to share a story. You know, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but we're we have a little fear or anxiety. Um, but when you first get saved, did you have any problem sharing your story? 
I, I didn't really know what to say, but I was going, wow, all I know is I was a mess, and look what God's done, and you know, blah, blah, blah. I'd go 15 minutes just telling you what God's done in my life. And I was excited. I was pumped up. But then later on, you know, sometimes church reigns you in. You know, a deacon rang me in. You know, you're giving the devil too much credit. No. And he was right to a point, but I was like, after that, I was afraid to share. I'm going, oh, I'm messing up the gospel. When really, what I needed somebody to do was teach me, what did your life look like before Christ? How did you meet Christ? Your life since Christ. Do it in three to five minutes. Leave out the churchy terms. That's vision bait, just to see where God's working. And God has opened up. So God's using Clint, opening up home after home, but... Again, it goes back to the you know the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And everywhere I could take you right now and tell you the same complaint. I had twenty, I think twenty five people come to Christ in Nashville the other week, and so David's going, "Where's the workers? How are we going to disciple these folks?" Ray in Columbia, South Carolina, they're in twenty one homes, and he's going, "I can't get enough workers." on CIU's campus. I'm going, you can't get enough workers? What's wrong? There's, there's something something here in our hearts that God's got to change. Because does God want to reach these communities? And, and, I, and I know you say, well, you know, that's booger holler. But I'm telling you, it, gated communities, business offices, university campuses... Uh, inner city, it really, so far, we've seen God open up doors in every single place. Our problem, again, is where is the workers? And so I think God wants to open up. Does God want to save Knoxville today? If He does, what are we going to do about it? Am I going to own that? Because He, he really does. <coughs> I'll make sure I... I, I want to do, I want to leave you with something practical. Um... I wanted to, I hope, inspire you with the possibility. You know, one of the things that, I don't, I don't know if you remember later on in David's life, David, um, he was out, you know, and they were fighting with the Philistines again, and, and there were some of these big guys, you know, that are descendants of Goliath, right? And so they're coming to kill David. There's four different stories. And so they're coming to kill David. And so David's men, you know, they, they look at this situation. They go, listen, David, chill out, brother. You just relax. Sit down. Nobody's going to snuff out the light of Israel. I got this one. And he goes and bam, takes down this descendant of Goliath. Well, then here comes the next one, right? He's bigger and badder. He's got a telephone pole now for a spear. I mean, he's bad. And so he's coming. He's going to take out David. And one of David's men says, listen, I got this one. And boom, takes out the next one. And the next one comes as bigger. In the end, all four of these guys go down. And David's men did it. And, and David sat back. And, I, and it had to be a great moment when you think about it. He sat back and watched his men do this. But what was the difference between then and when the little ruddy boy walked out onto a field where Goliath was? And looked out at a guy named Goliath and says, You're not going to mock the Lord of hosts. You will not mock my God. And to demonstrate the power of God. And so the God gets the glory. And he takes this guy out. What's the difference between that time and this time over here with David and his men? 
the difference? Yeah, a little, a little precedent, right? Or a little something changed up here. They go, it's possible. God wants to do it. We saw David do it. And if David can do it, anybody can do it. Listen, if somebody from Booger Holler, North Carolina can do it, I promise you anybody can do it. Now that's why I think God chose to use Booger Holler, just to <laughs> make fun of us. I don't know. <laughs> you know. But it really is. It's precedent. It's, it's God saying it's possible. God wants to use us to reach Knoxville. He wants to use us to reach the nations. And that's an amazing thing because I don't know about you, I know me. And I look at me and I know my inadequacies and I know my failures and my mistakes. And I'm not an evangelist. I'm like, Steve, I'm not an evangelist. I go do it because it's a discipline. And I also know because somebody, I'm in so many small groups, somebody's going to go, Jeff, did you share your story? And so by golly, I better share my story because they're going to hit me up. But I, I got to where I love to do it. I love to go to Central Avenue and hang out with Nepalis and Indians and Congolese and Muslims. Um, better than rednecks. You know, I don't know why. I just, I like a little more challenge for some reason. But I just love it. I love the food, honestly. I need something spicy. And so, it's precedent though. A lot of it's just going, you know what? I believe. Because it's really not about my faith. It's really about the size of my God. We, we have an amazing God. And we have an amazing... His glory is, is amazing. And if in our hearts we say, you know what? God, man, set me up. Put me in a home. Give me an opportunity tomorrow, tonight, to share my story. Would God set you up? If you said, God, give me one home this year and I'll disciple them to win people and to share with people, I promise you I'll do it. Would He give you a home? Would He? Yeah! Yo, yo. Yeah! <laughs> Dang right He would. And then would He give them a home? Absolutely. And that's what God, that's really, that's what was Jesus' plan. He said, hey guys, look, follow me over here. We're going to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And there He heals her. And then they ripped the roof off the house one day and you know, and they lay over the paralytic down and, you know, of course he heals this guy and he does this amazing thing. And then 600 years later, there's still a church meeting in that home. Of course, by then they built a little building around it. Constantine's mother-in-law did that. And it was six, I don't remember the exact time when they tore that building down. But he started, he modeled for them what he wanted them to do. And then he went out and he went down to see a Galilee and he walks down to see a Galilee and he walks up to the sea of Galilee and he comes to a tax collector booth and something happens, I don't know exactly what. And he ends up in Matthew's what? House. And who's he hanging out with? Yeah, tax collectors and sinners. We're talking rotten people as far as everybody else was concerned. And here's Jesus in their homes reaching out to them, loving on them. And he's, he's reaching them. And then he tells the disciples, listen, I've just showed you what to do. Now I want you to go do it. So I want you to go out twelve by, two by two to the places I'm going to go. And I want you to get into the house of peace. And when you get into the house of peace, I want you to essentially pronounce peace upon that place. If there is no peace, let it return to you and go on. But don't go door, door to door. Find the house of peace. Win the house of peace. 
Train the house of peace to win the other houses of peace, or win their oikos, win their sphere of influence. And then we got the Luke 10. So now we go from 12 to what? 70. What happened between the 12 and the 70? The one chapter, that's all I know. I wish I knew more of the details, but something multiplied. Somehow they got more workers. And Jesus said what? Pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers. So where did the workers come from? Out of the harvest. So out of the harvest, He brought forth the workers. And then He said to the 70, do what? Go out and find houses of peace. When you find a house of peace, stay in there. And when you stay in there, don't go door to door. Win the house of peace. Train the house of peace to win the other folks. And teach them to go on out. Keep them moving out. And then if you watch the book of Acts, they, they, model the same, they follow the same pattern. 60% of people today are uninvitable to church. Who's going to go get them? The 40% are going to come if you invite them. Okay? Is there plenty of opportunities for the 40% in Knoxville? Absolutely. But where's the opportunity for the 60%? It's those of us who are willing to go. And listen, I'm telling you, the people that are going, my mom goes, she's great at getting in homes, but all she does is cry. She can't get a word out. <laughs> you know, she's just crying and loving on people and praying on them. And she runs people and runs there. She loves loud. I'll tell you, she loves loud. But she just keeps doing it. People love her. And they get into home after home. My mom and my dad. And it's, it's, not, it's not these, I'll be honest with you, it's not a whole lot of pastors. It's not a lot of whole time, full-time staff folks. It's regular folks who reorganize their lives. I know your lives are busy. I'll be honest with you, that's one of the things you have to decide is, am I willing to give up? I think busyness is the sin of the church today. <clears throat> we are so busy. You know, listen, if you knew my schedule, you wouldn't ask me to do that. But maybe we're too busy. Maybe, you know, good to great says, let your no list be longer than your yes list. Almost sound like something Jesus could have said. But that was uh, Jim, was it Jim Goodman or Jim somebody? Um, but maybe you need to start saying no to some things so that you can be freed up to be involved. Because God wants to open up. I don't care where it is, gated communities, whoever it is. God wants to open those up. Well, here, I want to I get practical with y'all real quick because I feel like we don't walk away and do something because I want you to see the process. Because, you know, there's a couple ways. Um, you know, you've you got the idea of your who, right? The sort of your sphere of influence, those people you know. When you don't know anybody, you go back to your house of peace, okay? And we'll, we, we'll unpack that more in February. But essentially, you're going to start with who you know, all right? Then you're going to pick a gospel presentation. Well, the first thing you're going to start before, I'll just give you an idea how you start this. And there's a couple ways you can do it. One of my favorites is if God could do a miracle in your life today, what is it? And if so, can I pray for you? And, you know, and somebody says, well, you know, pray that Jesus gives me a million bucks. Well, you know what? I'll pray that Jesus blesses you. I've gotten that question. I've gotten that a couple times. That's okay. It doesn't rattle me. You know, but then about 60, 70% of the time, somebody breaks down in tears and says, Man, pray for my cousin. Just found out got you know got out of prison. Pray for my cousin. I just found out they have cancer. Or pray for my mother. We had a lady break down one day in Charlotte. And just started crying, and she says, "I can't even tell you." And she was just weeping uncontrollably. And she sat down at the booth, and we just laid hands and prayed over. Her and 
shared a story. She wasn't ready to receive Jesus, but every time we go to that restaurant, we just keep visiting her and just, man, we're praying for you. I don't know what that is you were crying about. We're praying for you. Just know we're praying for you. We love you. And you'd be amazed. But the, the, what it does, it allows them to share their story. And as I hear their story, then I'm ready to share what? Yeah, my story and Jesus' story. So I'm going to throw my story out as a little bait, see if there's some spiritual hunger. Then I'm going to share Jesus' story. And I'm going to ask permission. Hey, let's say we get done with Jesus' story. Are you? Would you like to receive Christ? Well, no, I'm not ready for that. Well, hey, could, could I do a Bible study with you? Or, hey, could we meet at Starbucks? Or you want to keep, when can I meet with you again? When can we hang out together again? And I had a guy, I was sharing my story one day. And he's real private, so I've got to be careful how I share what I share about him. Because he's always been just, don't, don't share anything. So but I've shared my story one day. And for whatever reason, we ended up in about an hour-long conversation. And I was going through my life before Christ, no peace. My life since Christ, God's given me peace. And he, he says, man, would you do a Bible study with me? I said, yeah, sure. And so I, well, I set it up, set up the time. It was 5.30 in the morning. I drove down there at 5.30 in the morning. He doesn't show up. I'm texting him, and I'm getting like the heart, you know, why in the world, you know, you know, I got things to do, places to go, people, you know, and I just, you know, just sort of, but anyhow, hey brother, sorry I missed you, don't know what happened, can we set it up again? Oh, I'm so sorry, set it up again. He didn't show up again. And now I'm going, does this guy really want to talk to me? But I had something in me just say, man, keep calling because what we found sometimes is after people say they'll do it, they get a little cold feet. So you got to, who's supposed to go? Me. Does he know he needs disciples? No. So what's Satan doing? Man, don't hang out with that Jeff guy. He's going to be trouble. He's going to be trouble. Anyhow, the fourth visit he came. And in the fourth visit he came, I could tell he'd been drinking. And then he dropped a bomb on me. And he just began to break down and share his heart with me. And then I met with him for about six more weeks, and it just I thought, man, there's no spiritual hunger here. I was, I was like, I, I'm ready to quit. And then I got a phone call. And then the next night he gave his life to Christ. And now he's a brand new man. Now it's still a mess, but all I'm saying is sometimes you you, you gotta pursue people. You've got to keep going, going, and going like the energizer bunny. We keep going, going, going. But if there's spiritual hunger, we join them. And so God's allowed me that opportunity to join. But I'm just telling you, the first three, four times, don't give up. Ray, i got to jump into the, what I'm going to do practical, don't I? Ray called me and said, Jeff, I shared 40 times this week and I haven't gotten in a home yet. I'm like, Ray, let me pray in the name of Jesus. Just keep on, bro, you keep on. So I just pray, Jesus, please set Ray up in a home. Next week, man, I shared 60 times. And, and Ray does, literally does. He just, I don't know what he does at school, but he doesn't study because he's out sharing Jesus. And but he's you know what do you if, if a guy is sharing Jesus like that, what do you do? I'm gonna spend time with him. I'm gonna hang out with this guy. And so anyhow, Ray started getting into homes. He's in twenty plus homes. They had a PhD professor at USC gives life to Christ. Now he started two Bible studies on the campus. The guy was from India. Short term volunteer trip goes to India. This guy loans out his house in Uttar Pradesh. Uh, in Borelli, I think y'all know where Borelli is, one of the most unreached districts in on the face of the earth. And so this guy, and that happened in Columbia because there was a guy like Ray who just kept going and going and going. 
and anyhow, just amazing. But I'm just saying, and and one thing we picked up from Ray that was so good. You know, I talked last night about, you know, we sat around the table and, and the oikos. You know, we used to call this lostness, and what we found is people, church folks don't know the lost people no more. You know, and, but they know people far from God. And it's actually biblical, too. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, it says that we were far from God, then we were drawn, what, near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's just sort of a cool thing. But anyhow, Ray came up with this little thing from far and near from God, and he'll just say, man, hey, my name's Ray, I'm down here, you know, just praying. Do you feel far from God or near from God? And so he was sharing the other day in a, Restaurant and the lady said, "Yeah," and he's like, "What? Yeah? Well, I'm far from God. Well, tell me about it." And so she begins to share her story, and then Ray shares his story, and he said, "Listen, I know you're busy right now. You're a waitress. Is there a time I can come back with a couple of ladies and we can start a Bible study with you?" She says, "Absolutely." And so they got Bible study going on. It's Atlantic Bread in Columbia, and there's three. Uh, ladies now, all from Brazil, and a couple ladies leading that Bible study. But it just, Ray just shared his story. He starts, but anyhow, it's far from God, near from God. It's just been a really cool thing. You say, hey, you far from God, near from God. Well, I don't believe in God. Well, cool. Tell me why you don't believe in God. Let me hear your story. And so there's, you just can all you got to do is ask it a question that's not a yes, no, right? Tell me more. And then what I want to do, I want to share my story. All right, so what I want to do is we're going to, I'm going to get y'all involved a little now. I apologize for running my mouth so much, but what I want to do is model, I'm going to model my story, and I'm going to try and do it about a minute, first part, a minute and a half. So I want you to think about the first part of your story. Before you met Christ, what's one word that would describe your life before you met Christ? One word, okay? And so I want you to think about that. I, I grew up in a Christian home, and... Uh, my mom and dad, were, you know, took me to church. They were really, you know, just great to me and my brother, and um, doing doing okay. But then we somehow, for whatever reason, just as I was confirmed a Christian or I joined the church, however you want to say it, um, about that time we left the church. And so in my teenage years, I really wasn't involved in church. And so by the time my mom and dad got back in church, I was sort of disconnected with that. And so I was doing really well in athletics. And I do well in athletics, and then I have this sense, man, I, can't, I have no peace. And then I, you know, I began weightlifting and bodybuilding, so I do that. And then again, I get done. I say, man, I, I don't have any peace. And then, then I began to, you know, chase the girls and party and things like that. And again, I, I, I sort of at the end of it, you go, wow, I, I don't have any peace. And and I and I was just sort of miserable. And then I read a book called What Would Jesus Do? And I read it, and I said, man, I'm going to do what Jesus did. And the more I tried to do what Jesus did, the more miserable I was, because I found out I couldn't do what Jesus did. And so I just, I ended up with no peace. And I was running. And I was actually in Cleveland, Ohio. And I left Cleveland, Ohio, went to North Carolina, and I met a guy from New Jersey. And I didn't think anything good could come out of New Jersey. And so I met this guy from New Jersey, and I watched the way he treated his family. I watched the way he acted. I saw how he handled co-workers. I saw he, there was just something different about him, way different than anybody from New Jersey. And so I asked Ron one day, I said, man, what's different about your life than my life? Okay? That's the first part of my story. So my buzzword is what? 
peace. I had no peace. And that, that's, that's, that's the fact. What I want you to do right now, I want you to pair up with somebody. You grab the word in your head, and I'm going to give you about two and a half minutes. And so one of you share for a minute, the next one share for a minute. So I, about a minute and 30 seconds or something, I'll rotate you, okay? Alright? So pick one word. Now, the qu- so here is one word, you know, describing your life before Christ. Here, what was it the Holy Spirit was doing that drew you to Christ? Or, you know, what was the facts? I mean, bottom line, you were there. There's, there's facts that, were, that happened during this. What are they and what's it look like? Alright, so... So here I am with Ron, Ron Barbagli from, you know, New Jersey. And I asked Ron, what's different about your life than my life? And Ron says, well, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, I repented of my sins. And he said, I believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, well, you know, you know, I was confirmed a Christian. You know, I went to church and I said, man, I did WWJD. And he said, no, I didn't ask you that. He said, I asked you, do you have a personal relationship? And I'm like, well, I did WWJD and I went to church, you know. And I, and I went away that day just sort of perplexed and confused. And um, so I went home that night and I was just like, I knew I was already, I'd only been in Charlotte, North Carolina a few weeks and I was already sick and tired of it. And I just, that's my Lord. Jesus, I said, I, I believe in your death, burial, resurrection. I said, I know I'm a sinner. My, my life's a mess. I said, but I've never heard about this personal relationship thing. And I said, would you please change my life? Man, I'll, I'll take whatever that is. Please change my life. And God began to radically change my life. That was November of 1986. And God began to change my life. That's the middle part of my story. So, now what I want you to do is... Um, I won't do this. I was thinking maybe you pair up with somebody different, but I won't do that because it's always so terrible to have somebody interrupt in the middle of your story. Um, so I'm going to let you share with uh, the same person you share with. But I want you to share just concisely, you know, what happened. Just what was the Holy Spirit doing? Because bottom line, it didn't matter if I was 18, 40, or 9. Because that's usually what, you know, my wife was 9 years old when she gave her life to Christ. But bottom line... My wife needed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ when she was nine years old. So when my wife shares her story, she just doesn't say how old she was. Now, if it's relevant, yeah, she does. If it's irrelevant, what's it really matter? I don't even have to say it was 1986. All I know is I needed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and I was miserable, and I was sick and tired of it, and I was ready for change, and I was desperate. This man, I'm ready to believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. So... You may have that story. That's a great story, first of all. That's the story I wish I had. But don't get, don't let yourself get caught up on the day, the time, how old you were. Bottom line is there was something that caused you to have that experience with Christ, whether you were four years old, seven years old, nine years old, or 15 years old. But just what was it and describe it the best you can. And then, you know, context. Um, now you're... The last chair, again, what, what's one word that describes your life since you met Christ? And, and I think that's a great way to sort of keep you focused on, you know, where you're trying to go with the story. But my, my last chair is the chair that changes. You know, so I listen to somebody else's story, 
And now I'm going to adjust my story according to maybe what I heard. Not, I'm not making things up, obviously. I got, you know, I got since 1986 these stories of how God's intervened in my life. And so I can reach back and, and grab a story that's appropriate you know, to the situation, to the context. So I got some stories already in my head. Sometimes the Holy Spirit leads me to something. But I got something here sort of based on what I heard them say. That may, you know, may just let us connect. I, you know, you just never know. And so, anyhow, so I um in uh, 1996 I was uh, pushing a, a young man in a wheelchair, his name is Jacob, around a uh, down at Caswell in South Carolina, trying to get him to participate, have fun. He was he was a middle schooler, which is like, oh goodness, that made you nuts, you know, when you were a youth pastor. You're just like, ah, you know. Anyhow, I was trying to get Jacob involved, have fun. Um, just, you know, having a good time with him. But while I was there, there was a young man from Carson Newman, um, and he was sharing uh, his story. He was using the story of uh, Paul's conversion. And as I, and I, as I heard him speak, I, I just knew, always had that sense that God wanted me to do something. I'd been in business. I was successful in business. I liked business. I was doing youth ministry. It was, you know, it was double vocational. I was loving it. And but I had this gnawing sense there was something I was supposed to do, and so man, when I heard this guy's message, man, I got to get down and just man, I give up, I quit, and so I get down front and I get you know the guy like this eighteen year old youth pastor, and he's going like, dude, you're old, you're not supposed to be coming down front or something like that. And I think that was his response, and I was in my thirties or something, I don't know, and I'm going, I'm not that old, but um, anyhow, so we just shut up and pray for me. Um, just pray that God intervenes in my wife's life. I said, I know God wants me to do something. I'm not sure how my wife will feel about this. Just pray for her. So anyhow, I pray. And so I, I go back to the house. And I said, baby, I got something I want to tell you. And she said, no, no, I got something I want to tell you. I said, no, no, I, I got something I want to tell you. I can't sit and tell this. And so, and so we're arguing who's going to tell who, you know. And so finally she says, God told me that I'm supposed to be like Sarah. Wherever Abraham goes, I'm supposed to go. And and I said, well, that's good. Because I said, God just told us to go. I don't know where we're going, but we're going. So 10 days later, I'm in Southeastern Seminary down at the campus in Charlotte, North Carolina. My first class is missions class. And I had Dr. Keith Idle. And I knew first night, first class, I was going overseas. Now, it took my wife a couple more years to accept that. I took a trip to Kenya. And, uh, you know, and we, she finally got on board with that. But God just set us up. And so as we went overseas, we just saw God's hand protect us time and time again. We were in the mountains, and my son was, um, he's always been just, man, running down the Himalayas like there was nothing. Two backpacks, carrying mine, running up. And so one day, he's coming down, and you could tell he wasn't feeling well. He was lagging behind. We were in, between Dalgory and Nilgory, which is the deepest gorge in the world. And um, about 13,000 feet, we're coming down into a place called Martha, which is 9,000 feet. And he just was like wiped out. So he went to the room. He laid down, so I'm going to bed. And um, really didn't think anything of it because he's so strong. And I just never worried about him. Well, we're down, I think, playing cards or talking. And uh, with my mom and dad are with me. And, you know, and so... And the lady comes down, oh, come get Caleb, come get Caleb, he's laying out. And so I go out, and he somehow got out of the room, he's laying, and he's curled up in a ball, just rigid. And he's vomiting, and so I, you know, I pick him up, and I, I know he's got AMS, you know, it's pretty obvious. I grab him up, and you can't even straighten his limbs out, and 
and there's no, you know, we're five days walk from a doctor. Uh, there's no doctor to call. There's no medicine to go to. There's, you know, I, I didn't even bring any medicine for whatever reason. So I, we go get some orange juice, trying to dump orange juice, and he's throwing up. And man, all we needed to do was pray in the name of Jesus. That was the only thing we could do. And so we just gathered around him because I knew it was advanced AMS. And so we just prayed over him. And the next morning he was up popping around and bouncing around. And so I know, you know, in the midst of difficult situations, God, even though he allows us to suffer, he allows difficult things to happen. You know, there's times he comes and he intervenes and he steps in and helps. And, you know, so, you know, praying God steps in and intervenes in your life today. Hey, could I tell you more about how God brought me near to him? All right. So what I want you to do, I want you now to just think, what's a story you could share, a couple, one or two stories you could share at the end of your thing that would describe what you've seen God do? But I want you to add a little, would you see what I added on the end? Hey, when, when can we meet again? When can we talk again? How do we keep this conversation going? Because some folks, you've got to pursue them. You know, when can we meet again? Maybe you can do it right then. Maybe sometimes people give you three, four hours. You go to... Central Avenue and hang out with the Polly's, you can spend all day on Saturday, Sunday. But you know, you're with other folks and you got three minutes and then you got to come back on their time. And so discipleship is rearranged by whose time? The person of peace, that lost person. It's not by my time. Churches at, you know, 10 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, whatever. But that person of peace, it's whenever they're free, I arrange my time to go spend time with them because I'm the one that's got to go. So I want you to add some way at the end of, it's like setting a hook. How can I spend more time with you? How can we hang out more? Where can I meet you? Can I come to your house? I met an Indian lady the other day, and uh, um, lo and behold, she was at church. Finally figured out she was Hindu. And so I just asked her, my wife and I were sitting there talking, and said, I said, could we come to your house? And she's like, sure. I said, would you fix me dinner? <laughs> and she's like, sure. And I said, well, I'd really like to have chicken curry. And she's like, sure. You know, she's like eating it up. And my wife's going, you're so forward. Why are you doing that? I said, well, House of Peace says they'll feed you and they'll take care of you and they'll provide everything you need. I haven't had chicken curry in a long time, especially by somebody who knows how to cook it. I said, so, yeah. So anyhow, she totally invited us into her house. And she owns the Shell gas station right there at the corner near the church. And, but again, you know, sometimes, I know that feels uncomfortable with, trust me, with the polys, you can pull that off. You can, you can go to the house all day long. So I want you to pair back up, and I want you to share the last part of your story. Something you feel, you know, maybe this person next to you needs to hear. Or maybe it's something that you would want to share on the street with somebody. Okay?